my name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. If you would, go ahead and grab your notes out of your handout, and uh, you will see we're starting a new series. This is a series on connection. Very excited today. We're kind of going to give a uh, signal. We're going to turn the signal, the blinker on, and show kind of where we're going over the course of our summer together. So very, very excited about that. And uh, I'll start with something that I think you all are familiar with. In the six months that started with the month of October of this year, Seattle had the wettest, darkest, dreariest winter they had ever experienced. Yeah, yeah, we've been measuring rainfall for like a hundred years, and this year blew every other year away. Like, literally, it was the wettest in history, right, as far as we know. And um, to remind you, this is what it looked like visually uh, in the fall, and this is what it looked like in the winter, and then this is what it looked like in the spring, right? So, so that's what we've been living in, and, and there's some implications to this, in addition to the fact that we know that God loves the backyard of the Northwest because he keeps it so well watered. Uh, the implications are something with our hearts, that our, our hearts, we, we are all in this region, we're kind of filled with cabin fever, and we're going a little stir-crazy, and we just can't wait until a little glimpse of sun, because wherever the sun breaks through the clouds, we rush out, and we try to get in that spot. Uh, it just, no matter how long, you know, it lasts, we want to be there. Uh, true story, I was picking my son Doozy up from a birthday party about a month and a half ago. It was 49 degrees. The fields were, were just soaking wet. All the kids were playing outside. They were just drenched. My son's fingers were like blue, and the dad of the, that was hosting the birthday party said, yeah, it's been so miserable lately that we just take any chance we get to be outside. And, and, and that, Jesus, it's a sad, childhood is hard in the Northwest, but, but beyond that, the, the, the truth is, that's kind of the ethos that, that we're dealing with in this region. And so as we looked ahead as a staff, we realized that if this summer just contained the same old, same old, if it was just business as usual summer at OCC, we recognized that there would be many people who would just be like, I'm opting out. I'm going to, you know, check out. I'll be, I'll be worshiping Jesus, you know, at the lake or at the mountains or whatever, and I'll see you when school starts again, maybe, you know, and, and that's not what we wanted. And so as a staff, we kind of began to pray and, and talk together and whiteboard together, and we realized that there was also this other value that we really feel like God has brought us to again and again and again, and it's the value of connection. If you're new to Overlake, th this might be unfamiliar to you a little bit, but last year, if you recall, God brought us to a, a kind of an overarching theme, connection is everything, and it, we keep coming back to it again and again and again as what it is that we're going after life together as we follow Jesus, right? We're brothers and sisters in the family of God. The highest value, the pinnacle value in all the scriptures is the value of love. We're called to love, we're commanded to love, we're created to love, but we cannot love someone we don't know. And so the challenge is we, we want to make sure that we are in connected relationships, spiritual friendships with one another. So all of this dynamic sort of situation has brought us as a, as a pastoral staff and our elder board together to this summer, we're calling it the summer of connection. 
Okay, now there are some, some, there are five specific ways that this will interact, intersect with us, how we do life at Overlake over the course of the summer. You might want to take some notes just so you have these things. But the first is, starting on June 25th, the next 10 weeks, starting on June 25th, we're doing one service on Sunday at 10 a.m. So 10 services at 10 a.m. What time is the service? 10 a.m. Now, I know you guys that are 11 o'clock folks, and some of you that are coming in, you're 11.20 folks. Uh, Like, I know that's going to be a challenge for you, but trust me, this is going to be so, so cool, and it's going to allow us, in the context of this room, to actually do greater, greater connection kind of opportunities. I'll just give you one example. Your favorite seat that you're sitting in right now is someone else's favorite seat at the 920 service. I know, isn't that cool? So you've already got that in common with somebody, you see? It's a great friendship basis for you guys. And I say friendship and not fist fight. Okay, so make sure, right, that this idea. Now, again, what time is the service? It's at 10. We're doing it for how many weeks? Okay, well done, good. Number two. For the entire course of the 10 at 10, all the summer services, we are all, as a church family, going to be studying the life of David. We're all, so, so from the very earliest, you know, the little babies in the nursery are going to hear a story about the life of David, uh, elementary school, uh, our middle school, our high school, that, that everyone is going to be tracking through the same series through First and Second Samuel, different episodes of the life of David, show how it impacts our life today, lessons we can learn, challenges that David's life brings to us. So the, the idea for this is family connection. So no matter what ages, your family members, who you come to church with, when you get in the car and you begin to drive home, that is a connecting point that you can begin to have those spiritual conversations. Hey, what did you learn and what did you think? And this is what we were challenged with. And it's a great opportunity to have family connection go deeper. Here's number three. Multiple times this summer, we are going to be doing what's called family services here in this room. It's where the entire church family comes together and worship. And then after that service, which it'll be a shorter family-friendly service, after that service, we will have food trucks outside or you can BYO picnic. And, and, and basically the idea is that we want to do a meal together right after the service where you can sit on the lawn, where you can hang out with the folks that you've just intersected with and friends that you've just started to meet in this church service and take that friendship, that spiritual connection, deeper over a meal. So there'll be a few of those over the course of the summer. Number four, we're challenging overlakers, and and actually many of you have already started to do this, to host summer block parties where you, you know, put up a couple of of signs and you got your, your games out in front. And it's the idea of having a barbecue and really just connecting with your neighbors as a part of connecting in your parish. We're also doing a thing called OCC at the Park, where we're having park hosts come to the different parks all around the region, and then we're inviting all of the overlakers that live within a three-mile radius of that park to get together. The idea is to connect with other overlakers in the same parish that you're already living. You just don't know that you live around these folks. We want to make sure that we help make those connections happen. And the fifth thing is the way in which all this is going to happen is that all of us are going to connect a little bit deeper to serving at Overlake. 
And the cool thing is, um, you know, we're going to need everybody to jump in on this, everybody to say, yeah, I'd be willing to jump in for a couple of weeks this summer. Um, specifically with Kid Town, we need to kind of double our ranks in terms of caring for Kid Town. You might want to imagine that every week then is going to be like Easter week for our, for our children's ministry. And so we definitely want to swell those ranks, double those numbers, ushering. We're going to need section hosts. There's just all kinds of, of things that we are going to need to have happen. And, and the cool thing about this is that we want to make sure that nobody is serving every week. Because of the one service paradigm, we don't want anyone to serve all the weeks because then they're going to miss out on worshiping. So the idea is we want to actually have everybody serving two Sundays over the course of the summer. If everybody serves two Sundays, that means the rest of the Sundays folks can participate in worship with their family. So I hope that makes sense. How many weeks are we asking everybody to serve? Okay, good. How many weeks are we having the one service? What time is that one service happening? Okay, you guys are great. Gold star. All right. Now, here's the deal. I know some of you right now, and I know your heart, and I know you're saying this. Pastor Mike, that sounds like a good idea. Unfortunately, it's a new idea. Therefore, we fear it and naturally must reject it. Yeah, okay, so that's just, that's just how we operate as humans, right? So here's the challenge, here's the challenge. No, no, let's press through our, our sort of natural hesitation for change and, and let's just go, okay, what would it look like if we lean into this thing? And here's the deal, why don't we take a look at the first century church and look how the first century church valued connection with one another, how they valued this idea of everybody serving and everybody giving and everyone connecting in relationship with one another so that the burden was light and manageable for everyone. Why don't we just see what the Bible has to say about these ideas and then we'll challenge ourselves from the scripture. Does that sound like a good idea? Yes, it does. Thank you. Okay, all right. Here's the thing. Just like the the first century church, though, life is more fun when you make a game of it. So for the Summer of Connection, we've actually made a game board. And when you do the different elements of connection, you get stickers for each one of those areas. This is true. We did this because, of course, we did this. And it's, it's an idea to get this thing in front of us as a church family all summer long. So if you have kids, this is a great way to, you know, check something off. And then when you come to church, you get your sticker, you put it up on the fridge. If you're a young adult, this will be fun for you. You can motor through this whole thing. No problem. Uh, The idea is it's not about the stickers, although they are very cool. It's not about checking off the the list, although I love checking off lists. It's about actually connecting with one another in this church family as brothers and sisters. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. Okay. So let's just jump in. Let's see what it is the scriptures had to say about this idea of connected with one another. The first century church we read about in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open them up there. We'll be going through that that whole passage, kind of verse by verse. Um, They're on your outline. They'll be on the screen as well. Starts off, verse 42. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So what we see right away is that connection with others feeds our soul. Connection with one another feeds our soul. Because this verse we just read, it's a verse about feeding. 
It's a verse about being fed, right? Being fed from good teaching, being fed from fellowship, being literally fed from sharing in meals and coming to the Lord's table, and being fed with one another through prayer. So as we jump into this thing, let's just start with the teaching. What is it that the apostles were bringing in, in the form of teaching to this first century church? The answer is the apostles were teaching Christ-centered theology. You might want to write that down because it was the first time that Christ-centered theology was being proclaimed. And it was, it was a paradigm shift. It was a radical departure from everything, all the other religious teaching that had been happening in Jerusalem up till then. So you need to understand that, that what the apostles did is, yes, they opened up the, the scrolls of the Old Testament. They, they looked at the Hebrew scriptures. But they looked at the Hebrew scriptures through the lens of Jesus Christ. And what they did is, yeah, they talked about the prophecy in the Old Testament. But what they did is they talked about Jesus as the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. And, and yes, they talked about the law in the Old Testament. But then they talked about Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. And yes, they talked about the covenant that God had established with his people in the Hebrew scriptures. But then they also talked about the new covenant that Jesus had opened up, changing us from objects of wrath and sin to objects of favor and grace. And, and so there was this radical change that happened as the apostles were bringing this teaching that was centered on the person of Jesus Christ. And it was beautiful, and it was winsome, and it was encouraging, and it was interesting, and people had never heard it before, and it was rocking their world. And, and, and so it's just this beautiful kind of a scenario. And by the way, if, you're, if Overlake is your church home, and this is where you've been following Jesus for a while, then you know Christ-centered teaching is what we do. That, that Christ is the lens through which we view all of Scripture. That Christ is the central point. That he's the one who we look at and we see what he taught. We see the commands that he brought. We see how he lived. We try to live by his example. We try to live by the things that he said. That, that all of it centers on Jesus. And that's why so often what I talk about is I talk about Jesus' followers, right? I don't use any other title. I say those of us who are following Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the center of all these things. Can I get a little amen? Are you with me on this? Okay. Let's keep going. First century church also was committed to fellowship, it says. And there was a quote from N.T. Wright that Pastor Neely used last week. It says this. The church exists primarily for two closely correlated purposes. To worship God and to work for his kingdom in the world. The church also exists for a third purpose, which serves the other two, to encourage one another, to build one another up in faith, to pray with and for one another, to learn from one another and teach one another, to set one another examples to follow, challenges to take up, and urgent tasks to perform. This is all part of what is loosely known as fellowship. And I say this because this is what we're really seeking to go after in our summer of connection. And I would say what, what's described here is much, much deeper than what can happen on a Sunday morning. But we know it can begin on a Sunday morning. And, and that kind of connection, that kind of fellowship can spill over from what starts, when, what God initiates on our Sunday mornings. And then it says, to sharing in meals the breaking of bread together, having a full meal together. And I love how this says, including the Lord's Supper. 
you might remember that when Jesus established communion, when he established the Lord's Supper the very first time, he did it in the context of a larger meal. They were enjoying a full meal together. And that practice continued in the first century church, that they would, they would have full meals together. They would dine together, recline at the table together. It's one of the reasons why we want to do a couple meals together as a church this summer. And, and what's interesting, we know this is because in the churches that Paul planted, that they would have this same practice of, of sharing meals together. But then we know, especially like in the church at Corinth, people could misuse it and misunderstand what that time was all about. And so Paul had to kind of reprimand them. He had to write in his letter a little bit of a rebuke because what was happening in Corinth is some of the folks were going there and they were rushing through the buffet line right away and they were glutting themselves. They were taking all the food for themselves and then the people who were coming after didn't get anything to eat. And Paul says, hey, that's not what it's about. And then he had to reprimand him again because they were using wine for communion. And he was saying, hey, man, you're grabbing all this wine. You're taking all the food. You're, you know, kind of hanging out in the corner. You're getting drunk at church. And that's not a good thing to get drunk at church. By the way, just so you know, it's not a good thing to get drunk at church. Like, ever. It never has been. And, and so, you know, <laughs> sorry. This is one of, the, one of the things in our context. Like, you don't have to worry about that here. Because if you tried to get drunk on our communion wine, it would take you forever. <laughs> First off, the, the glasses are like this big, you know. You get like your 0.5 ounces of, you know. And then the second thing is it's, it's, it's not wine. It's juice. It's grape juice. So you'd have to drink. You have to wait forever to get drunk on that stuff. So don't worry about that. Uh, but I just want you to see that this idea of sharing meals is a part of what is mentioned and part of the first century church practice. And as we were talking as a creative team this week, we were kind of asking the question, why is sharing a meal even in the Bible? Why is it even there? It doesn't even sound spiritual at all to us. But what's so interesting is if you go back culturally you go back all the way to the beginning of the book, go to Genesis, and you see the kind of sacred honor that it was to host, to be hospitable to guests and travelers, for Abraham to welcome visitors into his home and to take the time to, to, to kill the animal that he'd been preparing and, and to, to you know, spend the whole day making a feast for his guests and then to recline at the table all evening long together in conversation and fellowship. And you realize there, there's something missing in the American culture, isn't there? That we just miss that. I mean, this is how it's been for thousands of years of human history. By the way, it's still how it is in countries all around the globe. It's just in America that we have valued fast over good when it comes to food. It's just in America that we, we view the meal as the stop on the way to entertainment as opposed to the actual entertainment itself. And so part of what we're trying to do this with the Summer of Connection is to just move the needle a little bit 
right? It's to, it's to just change it a little bit. So, so maybe this summer, you, you would maybe two or three times invite neighbors over for long barbecue evenings, or, or maybe just a couple of times this summer, you would take the, you know, a, a new friend that you just met during the greeting time, and you'd go outside, and, and you'd have a meal with them you know, on the lawn after a service. Whatever it looks like, that you just change the, the needle just a little bit and try to get to this area that the first century church was when they shared meals together. And then the last thing it says is that they prayed together. They shared prayer together. It's a great way to connect. It's a great way to bond. And, and this is how we share one another's burdens. It's how we, we seek to care for one another at Overlake. And I'll just give you a quick practical challenge. I, there's a phrase that we use in the church world a lot, and the phrase is this, and I say it in quotes, I'll pray for you. We hear somebody's uh, challenge, we hear a trial, and we say, oh, I'll pray for you. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying, I'll pray for you. So please don't mishear me on this one. It's a great thing to say. It's very encouraging. It's even better to actually pray for them, though. If you say, I'll pray for you, then it's a great thing to follow up and and do what you just said. Here's a, a step even better. When you find yourself saying, I'll pray for you, why don't you hit the pause button and say, you know what? Can I pray for you right now? And just step into the moment and just bring that encouragement and that compassion and that care in the moment as you lift that need or that person up to the Lord. It's a beautiful thing. Then you can still pray for them without them being there. That's also okay. But I'm saying it's a great, great moment to just step into and actually pray for them right there. All right, let's keep going. Verse 43. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. I, I love this because it's obvious the Lord was so evidently present with them. The Holy Spirit was working powerfully in their midst, and so there was this sense of awe over them all. And of course, this is what Jesus told us would happen, right? He says, where two or three are gathered, there I am with them. That Jesus' promise was he would be present with us as we gather together in his name. C.S. Lewis writes about this in his book, The Four Loves. He writes that, Each one of us is like the facet of a diamond. And we're all reflecting the light, but we're reflecting the light of the Lord uniquely and differently and individually. And it's one of the reasons we need one another because the more of us that are gathered together reflecting the light of the Lord, the more beautiful, the more miraculous, the more majestic it looks. In fact, I just want to say very clearly, Overlake, you are that diamond. You are beautiful to behold, and that's why we need one another, so that we can get a more full glimpse, a more true glimpse of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the light that we reflect is the light of the Lord, and God exists in Trinity, does he not? Father, Son, and Spirit. So God always is in a relationship of love, Father, Son, and Spirit, the tri-unity of our Lord. It's a, it's a beautiful thing that we are reflecting in our community. We're reflecting his community. In fact, Tim Keller says this. He says, each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. That creates a dynamic, pulsating dance of joy and love. Isn't that beautiful? 
And because the Lord was so evident in their midst, the miraculous was happening all around. There were these beautiful expressions of supernatural power that that there was this testimony of God being present with them. And I just want to declare that's true in our midst as well. That on this journey at Overlake, as we follow Jesus, we see him work in lives. We see healing take place. We see marriages restored. We see lives transformed. We, we see all kinds of beautiful, miraculous work of God's spirit. Because why? Two or three are gathered. Jesus is here in our midst. It's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful picture. Let's go 44. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. I'd love for you guys to circle the word share. Right? They shared everything. They shared the money. Sharing and this commitment to generosity and to shouldering one another's needs, this was certainly a mark of the early church. We see this all the way through the New Testament. And what's interesting is I would actually agree this is a mark of the church today that whenever you see a heartfelt connection to the person of Jesus, whenever you see a commitment to his mission in the world, this generosity, this sharing kind of a concept, it just springs up. It's unbidden. It's not a command to follow. It just bubbles up in our hearts. Because we want to be a part of what God's up to in the world. We want to steward our resources well so that we can help serve those around us. And it's just a beautiful thing we see in the first century church. And then verse 46, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. If you could, I would love to have you circle the word together because that's the key word here. In fact, you could read it like this. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes together for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals together with great joy and generosity. And all of it was for the purpose of worship. If you're filling in the blanks, that's the fill-in. That connection to others amplifies our worship. Connection to one another, it, it allows our worship to be amplified when we come together with a corporate voice. Now, what's interesting to me about this is it says they, they met in the temple, and I've been with some of you at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And so you already know, you've got a visual of what that looks like, the, 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 the spacious mount. I mean, it's, it's huge. I forget what percentage of the actual acreage that the temple was of the ancient city of Jerusalem, but it was a, it was a very large percentage of, of acreage of the original city and and so people would come all the time. Rabbis would teach there. That, uh, that you know, Folks would come and they would hear good messages, good teaching from the Old Testament scriptures. So it was very natural for this new church to choose that place to go to worship the Lord. That they would go, they would, it was beautiful, it was spacious, it was, um, they would not have been seen as strange when the apostles were there and a large crowd was gathered around them and they were teaching, and again, they were teaching Christ-centered truth, so that would have encouraged others, oh, what is this, tr- what is this truth about Jesus? And they'd start talking about Jesus and they'd be like, oh, I think Jesus sounds familiar. And they're like, yeah, he just was crucified like 52 days ago. And they're like, oh, oh, what? you know, and so it's like, it, it would just connect with with where they were. So they would meet in the temple, they'd meet in the temple courts, and then they would meet together in homes, house to house. And I I want you to think about this for a moment. This was the pattern that was established in the first century, so so 2,000 years ago. 
And the, the model that they, they established was meet corporately for worship in the temple courts and then meet uh, in groups in homes. And I want you to see that every expression of the church for the last 2,000 years has used both of those models. We see that still today in, in this church, in Overlake Christian Church. We gather together on a Sunday for corporate worship and expression and teaching, and then we meet in homes and through life groups and different kind of groups, and, and that's where we see the lifeblood of the church happen. And again, it's a model set by the first century church. Verse uh, 47, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So everybody was pleased with this new movement that God started, the powerful move of the Holy Spirit in this fresh new church called The Way. Uh, everyone was pleased except for, you know, if you were a Pharisee, you were kind of bummed. If you were some other religious police officer, uh, that was, a, that was a kind of a bummer for you. But everyone else, they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people in the city. And God kept adding to their numbers. And it's a beautiful thing to see that God's still doing this today, that God continues to add to the numbers, both of the church universal and here at Overlake to our church. One of my very favorite things that I get a chance to do, uh, this happens uh, periodically, it's like every six weeks or so, we do a thing called Lunch with Mike. <laughs> I, 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 that just sounds so silly for me to say, Lunch with Mike, like, oh, you can have lunch with me. You know, I said that to a, a, my, one of my buddies, and he said, oh, but what is it? I was um, yeah, I guess we could be clear. It's lunch with Mike. Like, uh, but anyway, the, 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 thank you. I really appreciate you, Janie. Yeah, no one else is with me, but why don't we just talk? Uh, so at lunch with Mike, I, we get a chance to connect with, with folks that are new to Overlake. And so I get a chance to hear stories of how God has brought couples and singles and families to Overlake. Sometimes it's because they've moved into the country, from, from out of the country. Sometimes they've just located here, you know, from a different region in the United States. Uh, many times it's they're brand new to faith. And because of a friend or because of a bringvitation, they ended up connecting with Jesus here at Overlake Christian Church. Uh, sometimes it's because families who have maybe they, they, they're an adoptive family or they have special needs. And so they find a really safe place to be on the journey with their family. And, and sometimes it's because people experience victory through their hurts, habits, and hangups and, at Celebrate Recovery. I mean, there's all kinds of ways in which God is adding to the number of those who are following Jesus here at Overlake. But I celebrate it. I celebrate all of that. It's just a beautiful, beautiful thing as we see God doing what God loves to do, build his church. He's continuing to be on the mission. Okay, let's go to Acts 4, 32 and 33. We'll wrap this part up. All the believers, it says, were united in heart and mind. You can circle that. It's so beautiful. All the believers were united in heart and mind. And they felt what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. Oh, so cool. If you're filling in the blanks, connection to others increases our influence. Connection to one another. It increases our influence, our witness, our testimony. And I love this idea of united in heart and mind. All the believers united in fact, I, I, I want you to maybe write down above the word united, just write the word not uniform or not identical. United but not identical. United but not the same. 
Because it is beautiful. The picture that we have of the first church, the picture we have of our church is that there's this incredible and beautiful unity, but it's not uniformity. There's this incredible and beautiful unity, but it's unity within diversity. And it's wonderful to see. See, the idea is that we're unified in terms of our our honoring God. We're unified in terms of our pursuing Jesus. We're unified in terms of we want to see his kingdom manifest in our presence and in our our community, etc. And so we're united in these things. And yet there are many different ways in which we would pursue them, explore them, etc. I want you to think for just a moment, if you will, think about the analogy of a football team. Think about our Seahawks for just a moment here. Some of you are like, now it's getting holy. <laughs> so, so think about this idea of the, the difference, the, the variety, if you will, of body type, of job description that there is on a 53-man squad. I want you to think that there, there's a, a person, his entire job description is to be a bulldozer, to just plow through and over people. I'm thinking like Frank Clark, maybe, 285 pounds, something like that. Just pure gristle. All he's going to do is run people over, right? And then you think on the other side, (coughs) excuse me, on the other side, you've got a guy whose job is to dart around and catch a hummingbird in traffic. I'm talking about Tyler Lockett, so small, you could put him in your pocket. I'm just... They're totally different, right? On the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of their physical prowess, what they can do, and yet completely unified in their goal. You could think about people who throw or people who run. You got your Russell Wilsons, your Thomas Rawls, little beast boy. You got your Eddie Lacy's now, if he can just keep the weight off. Like, there's a lot of wonderful stuff going on, but they're all different. Then you got guys like uh, people who can tackle really, like, hard, like knock mountains into the sea kind of tag, like Cam Chancellor. And you got guys who can kick really well. Nobody cares about the kicker. Sorry, you know, John Ryan. But, uh, you know, and, and then you got a guy who can literally steal the football from under your pillow while you're sleeping on it, Richard Sherman. Like there are so many different variety of roles. If you had like a, um, a spectrum for, from smallest to largest, and all you could see was their silhouettes And then underneath a job description, you would realize that every single player is completely unique. And yet, they're united. They're united in their goal. They're united in their effort to win. They're united in terms of loving and supporting their brothers. And the more united they are in heart and mind, the more victorious they are on the football field. And this is the picture of the church. The more united we are, not the same. But the more united we are in heart and mind, the more for one another we are in terms of our brothers and sisters going after the mission that God has given us, the more victorious we will be for the kingdom of God. And that's why the first century church was such a powerhouse, right? Because they were so united in heart and mind. Can I get a little love here? Amen, right? You guys with me on this one? I thought for sure the Seahawks would do it today. But no, it's still... Preseason, nobody cares. All right. And I love what God has done at Overlake. I love that the, the picture that we see of our church is unity in diversity. I love that this is a church where there's a lot of multi. 
This is a multi-ethnic church. This is a multi-generational church. This is a multi-cultural church. But in the midst of all the multi, there's this incredible unity around the person of Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for that. And then it says they testified powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus. Testified powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus. Appropriately so. Because the resurrection of Jesus is around which all other things hinge. The resurrection is the crux. It's that pin in the midst of history that everything changes upon. The the, the resurrection, it's so important that the Apostle Paul says, look, if the resurrection never happened, then all of this is just pageantry and empty and foolishness. But because it happened... It changes everything. C.S. Lewis talks about the resurrection. He says, if there's one thing it means, it's this, that Jesus cannot be moderately important. If it never happened, it means that he's of no importance at all. But if it happened, it means that he is of infinite importance. Everything, right? The whole rest of our lives should be devoted to understanding and following and walking in the way of this resurrection. Why? Because it's the resurrection that means Jesus is who he said that he was. It's it's the resurrection that means that Jesus actually has taken care of the sin problem of the world, that he's removed shame, he's removed condemnation. We're no longer objects of wrath and sin, but now we're children of Most High God. We're objects of favor and grace under his loving hand. Like this is a, a monumental shift. And so, yeah, everything is about the resurrection. We testify powerfully to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then it says... And God's blessing was upon them all. Friends, that's my prayer for you. When I think about the church, when I think about you and the incredible privilege I have to be a part of this thing, I just pray God's blessing on you, that you would know the Lord's love more and more, that you'd experience his joy more and more that the powerful Holy Spirit would be working in your life and allowing you to rise above your circumstances and love even those who are difficult to love and, and that you would receive his blessing and his provision. You'd see his kindness, that even if you stumbled, that you'd receive just this loving conviction in his gracious hand picking you up, dusting you off, carrying you forward, cleansing you for the next day and the next journey and the next victory. I pray God's rich blessing on you, Overlake. I love being in this thing with you. And so that's the picture that we get from the first century. And and my challenge to you is it's going to require a personal commitment. This idea of being connected like the first century church was connected both to the Lord and to one another. And it's going to require this personal commitment to move from isolation into connection, into community. That it's going to require something of each of us. We're going to have to lean in this summer. We're going to have to say, yeah, that's what I want to go after as well. And I know how it is. Like, I, I know how some of you are that, that you really like how you do church right now. And this is all a challenge to what it is that you like. 
I know some of you, you really like coming in at the 1125 service. You know, you like sort of sneaking in when, when the lights are already kind of dim, things are already kind of going. You like sitting at the fringe or maybe even behind the curtain, you know, just so nobody can see you. And, and, and you know, you just, ah, and then as soon as I pray, you know, then you skitter out and you're off on your thing. And, you know, I don't want anyone to, and I get it. Like, I, I get it. I trust me. I used to be there, so I do know what that's all about. There's no condemnation. There's no shame in this. But, he, but here's the challenge. The challenge is they had it so much different in the first century. The challenge is that there's such a richer level of relationship and connectedness and community that God is inviting us into over like, that's what I want for us. That's what I want us to go after. So this personal challenge to move from isolation to connection. And then the second thing that I want to talk about I mentioned it earlier, it's the challenge to connecting to serve in Kidtown. Connecting to serve in Kidtown. And if you recall what I said earlier, the challenge is that you would serve how many Sundays this summer? Two. And that you would serve uh, at what time? 10 a.m., that's right. And how many services are we doing at 10? You guys, way smarter than that first service. You're going to have to be patient with them this summer. I'm just telling you. Like, you're going to be sitting next to folks that are just really, they're not awake yet. And, uh, oh, actually, you guys are the ones that are going to suffer, aren't you? <laughs> All right, here's the deal. 11 o'clock. Just remember this. Y- you need to caffeinate. I'm just saying. You need to caffeinate because it's an hour early. You can do it. You can do it. There is a 10 a.m. on Sunday morning uh, always, but, but you can do it. And, and I would, I'm so excited. Oh, this is going to be so good. The reason why Kid Town needs help is because we want to swell our ranks. And so we're asking everyone to serve two services this whole summer. I know you can do it. And, uh, and, and the challenge is, Neely actually spoke about it last week. She was talking about what, how many healthy adults it takes to feed into a young life. And she said the challenge is five to one. Well, I want us to be that kind of church. That for every one student, for every one kid, there are five loving adults that are willing to step in and speak in to, to young lives. And so we made this super easy. It kind of, I did this call at Easter, and actually it was over 200 of you responded right away for our Easter service. Thank you. I'm praying that, that more than that respond today. But the idea is that we got a shirt for you today before you even leave the building. We, we want to get you, kind of look at your phone, see what date you're in town. You can sign up for those things today. You'll get a packet. It's all the information you need. There's no additional training required. By the way, you are not in charge of anything Praise the Lord. You are not going to lead anything. The idea is you're a helper. You're there to support, encourage, and care for uh, the, the leaders that are already going to be in those spots. So we're making this thing as intuitive and as simple as possible. Please respond and, and uh, be a part of our, our serving. When we all serve together, the burden is light and manageable. And that's what Jesus calls us to. I think I'm going to quit right now. Not the church, just speaking. Uh, but what I want to do is I, I want to ask you would, you, would you bow your heads with me as we're going to go to prayer? And I want to ask you to take just a second of self-examination right now. Just do a little personal analysis. Some of us are heavily relational and in great and flourishing friendships. Others of us tend to lean towards the isolated area. And let me just, let me just say, no matter where you are on the spectrum... We could always be deeper and richer 
in our connection and community. And there's always a hesitation. There's always a reason why we're unwilling. So that's what I want to pray about. Whatever that thing is that makes us unwilling. Maybe for you, there's an insecurity. The insecurity is that you think if people knew who you were, if you were connected in community, that they would reject you. They They wouldn't like you or accept you. So let's pray the Lord's healing right there in that spot. Maybe for you, it's a wound. You've taken a step of trying to be connected. You've taken a step of trying to be in fellowship in the past, and, and you have been wounded as you sought to be connected. And, and so let's just pray the Lord's healing right there in that spot. Whatever it is, Lord Jesus, you know our hearts. You know exactly what the hesitation is. You know we put, uh, we put it like a shallow excuse on it. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, my life's already too full. But Jesus, help us to go deeper than that, to see what the real issue is, and then help us with great humility and faith. We just offer that issue to you. We ask that you would meet us in our need right there, that you would allow us to receive your healing and the courage to take another step and to try again to build a friendship, to be in a group, to, to reaching out and inviting someone to lunch, to serving. Lord Jesus, you know where it is that we need you the most, and I'm so thankful that you meet us right there, that you're available in the midst of our our deepest need, the place where nobody else knows us, you do, and you love us there. I'm so thankful for that. Jesus, when we read about the first century church, we see evidence of it all around, and yet we want more, more of your Holy Spirit, more of your connection with one another, more of this incredible vitality that we see as we read through the book of Acts. Would you please open up the floodgates of heaven and allow us to experience that more. In your name we pray, amen. Mm